Blog Talk Radio. Marcianne, and I'm continuing with my series right now of um, discussion about the masculine energy and the feminine energy today. And when I lived in San Diego in the late 1980s, I had a television program on uh, public television. It was called Women at Work. I was the on-air host. But the producer of the program was a black lady whose passion was spotlighting women who were not representative of the usual woman of the times. So I got to interview the first woman fireman in the United States on my show before she later was spotlighted on CBS and ABC and NBC as well as all the other news stations and newspapers and other news outlets. In order for her to uh, be a fireman, all the fire stations in San Diego at that time then had to add a second bathroom to their station as I, at a, I don't know what cost. Because those in the know, you know those experts, <laughs> felt that because she got her period every month, she should have her own bathroom where she would have privacy. And Although it was purported that she was able to physically do everything that any male fireman could do and thereby fulfill the requirements for being a fireman, from then on, a lot of men who could not have qualified to be a fireman before began to be qualified as firemen. And the whole physical picture of the fireman changed from that moment on in the history of our country. And I remember thinking when I met this woman um, for our pre-show interview in preparation for the taping of the show, would she be able to climb up a ladder and get me out of a burning building and carry me back down the ladder? I mean, I'm a five foot ten, hundred and sixty-five pound woman. I was nearly twice her size, and I always had a feeling of safety when I saw a fire truck or would run into the fire guys at, fireman guys at the grocery store, you know, who were picking up some supplies for their station. And that feeling of safety has been diluted for me ever since. Because as a woman, there has been an instinctive knowing in me that the physical man uh, would protect me. Now, whether I was taught this, or whether I was just experience, it was my experience, but I, uh, I had that feeling that I would be shielded, that uh, the children and I would be kept safe in a time of emergency. And although my husband was just a little taller than I was and weighed about 25 pounds more, still he had great strength in his legs and his arms, uh, way more than I did, and I felt very safe and protected. And then when he left me and the children to seek out a new life and new civilizations, however, only going where lots of men have gone before, (laughs) 
I felt alone, vulnerable, unsafe. And that sense of the loss of the masculine energy in my life has remained with me all these years. You know, there's nothing within me that would try to be a man. And these women who need to prove themselves in the man's world are such a mystery to me. In some sense, I do believe there are percentages of hormones that influence how we all think of ourselves and others. Because, I mean, I was able to run a business successfully for 20 year, 22 years, and I've always felt that I was operating out of my testosterone masculine side to do that. But physically, I have no strength at all, none. <laughs> I can hardly get the lid off of anything. And I don't like heights. I can't imagine building a skyscraper building or a or a, a bridge. You know, I have a friend here in the retirement committee where I live who was an iron worker. I mean, you should hear his stories. Carrying heavy girders across a girder already in place way up in the air, thousands of feet off the ground. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> And I'm also a scaredy cat. <laughs> Before they took cops off TV, I couldn't imagine going into areas where the police have to go, not knowing at all what might happen. So I have always been ha- very happy, happy for all the strong men who would choose to enter into a work profession that's so necessary for us to have a good life here on Earth and put themselves at risk in order to do so. Now, I don't believe in war at all, but while we're still in the primitive ideas of duality, scarcity, and separation, war exists. And I believe the men who go to war are the bravest of all. Now, of course, not all men are big and strong in their physicality. There's many little men (laughs) with no strength like me. But even the littlest of men can and will demonstrate a level of masculinity and strength that seems very divine to me. I have a very small, and I mean tiny, (laughs) Japanese man friend. But when he opens the door of the car and offers his arm to me to be able to get out, I feel that masculine strength. And at night, if we're in a dark place, he always takes my arm, and I feel his strength. And there's just something in the fact that he does feel like he can be of assistance physically to me that is also comforting and almost an enigma to me. But I do feel that he would be able to chase off an intruder and protect me. You know, he's the youngest of three boys, all of whom were born in this country, to a Japanese mother who was also born in this country. And he proudly reports (laughs) that he's the biggest one of the three of them. (laughs) That's just so funny to me. But, you know, he's always been very comfortable in his form as a man. He doesn't think of himself in any way as less than. He's a graduate of West Point, He's a retired colonel in the Army, and for his second career, he was an engineer with the Army Corps of Engineers because he has always felt like he was a big person with ability 
and plenty of determination. Because, you know, so many times the mental attitude of a person can overrule and dominate a person's experience in life. But you know what? I've often wished I could have met his mother. She had her first two boys in the Japanese concentration camps that were set up here in our country during during World War II. And my little friend was born at the end of the war, but before the family was restored back to their home in California. His mother had to be a valiant, courageous, strong woman in a way that simply can't be measured. You know, the other two boys have also been very successful. One is a farmer of a 100-acre olive tree uh, farm that produces the finest virgin olive oil available today. And the other one was the uh, entertainment editor for the L.A. Times. You know, the Japanese culture does not honor or remember failure. The Japanese do not teach their children about Pearl Harbor. When a younger younger generation Japanese visits Hawaii, that's when they find out about Pearl Harbor. It's not in the Japanese history books. And the mother of these three boys must have kept a very positive and productive attitude all during their internment, teaching those boys that they live in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, regardless of the circumstances. She perhaps is the most perfect example of the divine feminine that I have heard about so far. Perhaps I could get my book friend to (laughs) agree to do a book about her. (laughs) And speaking of cultures, another given that will be true during this series is that we are just one race with many cultures. It's the culture that differentiates us. The news regularly confuses our creation as a human in saying that we are all different races, you know, the black race, the white race, the yellow race. And then things get really muddled when you get into Asians. You know, Japanese, Chinese, Vietnamese, pretty much all Asians are lumped together as a race. And then there's the Middle Easterners, who probably would include Egyptians, Arabs, Jews, And then there comes more muddling with Iranians and Syrians and Russians. (laughs) I mean, there's only one way to uh, categorize us. We are human beings, one race. Do you know that about 92% of Russians are white? Most Western Europe is white. The English, the Italians, the French, the Germans, the Dutch, the Swiss and then the uh, Scandinavian countries. But there's just one human race. That's what makes the things different. What makes the things different between us are our cultures. I mean, a Russian white person is going to have a very different culture they grow up than an American white person. All white people in the Scandinavian countries have a very different culture from a black person in Nigeria, very different. So where we're born and what type of culture biases are expressed in our area is going to determine how we think and what we believe. You know, Asian people who have lived under dictatorships and communism think very differently (laughs) from white people brought up in a constitutional republic because I I had a Chinese friend 
for a while. And we tried. She was came from communist China, and we really tried to bridge the gap. But it, it got more and more difficult the farther along we went. Um, there's just such a radical difference. Uh, but there really isn't such a thing as a racist. <laughs> now, every single person does have a unique circumstance of their birth. No two children in the same family even have the same experience. But all things are working in a rhythm to produce a particular circumstance that's going to give that individual unique living soul an opportunity to become a fully manifested son of God, bringing peace and joy and righteousness upon the earth. So in discussing the divine masculine and the divine feminine, we're talking about the human race regardless of the circumstances of the birth. Because we're going to try to get to a core of definition of the divine masculine and the divine feminine, regardless of the circumstances of the birth. What would be true of each masculine energy? And what would be true of each feminine energy, regardless of the circumstances of the birth? So today we kind of just are still in the process of, you know, the introduction. We discussed a kind of masculine energy that manifests in strength, and we're going to continue on tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 